Hi everyone, this is John and TJ. Welcome to Season 3 of ALN Math Talk. Wow, it's Season 3. Math Talk is where we answer your questions about online lessons, math learning, and the meaning of math. Please help us to spread our all-earners mission of cultivating a community of educators that promote math equity and inclusion for all students. Tell your friends and neighbors and fellow teachers to listen to Math Talk. Welcome back, everyone. I'm going to encourage you to check out our website, alllearnersnetwork.com, for our free resources and amazing math professional development opportunities. You can find those under the events tab. And we are recording this in uh, fall of 2022, uh, early fall, I guess late summer still. And uh, all of our fall events are live through December of 2022 on our events tab. Today we are joined by Annalise Record, who lives in our own neighboring state of New Hampshire. Welcome. Uh, glad to have you here. Tell us a bit about your background, your math journey, and how did you end up doing what you do? Thank you so much. I am thrilled to be here. I've listened to all your episodes, so it's always such a privilege uh, to be interviewed you know, on the podcast I love listening to. But uh, so I was living in northern New Hampshire for over 20 years. And I taught grade five for the 13 years. And then I became math coach K-5. And that really marked the beginning of my understanding of early numeracy. I, I was in my silo of grade five. Um, I had gone to college in Maine, an undergraduate degree in sociology. So I was not prepared to teach and I wasn't certified to teach. So I went back to school, got my master's degree. Um, but I had some math courses in college. And they had me take one math class. And it was math and literature. And I love picture books and exploring math in that way. But I really did not learn how kids learn. <laughs> how does their brain learn mathematically? And even to have a connection between the grade levels of standards. And so the math, becoming a math coach, I had to learn how do we teach a child about the number five? I didn't know. I followed the rules and procedures in my textbook at the grade five. And so that really began my immersion in this world of early numeracy and, and elementary mathematics. and. Um, along the way, in my math coach journey, I had um, done two things that changed my life. One was I went to a Bureau of Education and Research um, two-day conference of literacy and math, and Dr. Nikki Newton was one of the presenters. And you can choose what session and what topic to go to. It was literacy and math. I taught all subjects. But I chose hers as the first session, and I did not leave her side for the full two days. I'm like, what is this world of open number lines, like what is this flexibility and showing our thinking visually? It was a new world for me. Um, and similarly, I also joined um, Christina Tondeville's site, Build Math Minds, and I took her first version of her class that at the time was called Number Sense 101, is now called the Flexibility Formula. But it was all about the early numeracy, like subitizing and decomposing numbers and things that I just had no part in my, I had not learned that yet, right? Of how kids learn and grow. And those two women uh, have changed my life because my husband got a new job down here in uh, in the southern New Hampshire, Connecticut, uh, Concord, New Hampshire, we're living in now. But I was stuck. Like, I'm, I'm expensive as a classroom teacher. I, there were no math coaching positions down here. And I loved working with teachers and the kids. And so both of the, my close friends, Dr. Nikki and Christina, I had become good friends with them over over time. And they encouraged me to go off on my own. And so uh, so I did. And that's been the last Four years of my life has just been crazy, <laughs> this journey that I'm on, traveling the country. And uh, I had um, begun presenting with BER as well. And so when you present in a hotel conference room, people come and see your seminar. 
there have been several times someone has said, we want you to come to our school. And so then I, in my independent consulting role, go to their school and I present on various topics, customized PD, um, but then your connections become in other states. <laughs> so I've been in other states because they saw me at a, a, sem a BER seminar and, and then the word spreads and you get hired by other schools. So yeah, so I'm around the country and, uh, and doing a lot of online work because I found that my favorite professional learning community is the one online. The ones that I find on Twitter and Facebook, these communities of brilliant and kind and generous educators that have resources at our fingertips that are the heart of the mathematical thinking we want to promote with our kids. And uh, it's just been, I'm on a learning journey and it will never end. I am constantly learning new things. And I just live by the quote, Dr. Maya Angelo, that we do the best we can until we know more. And when you know more, you'll do better. And I live by that. <laughs> Wait, so. you, you find brilliant and kind people on social media? I really do. I oh. sure do. That's good. <laughs> I, I, I'm an admirer of that. My, <laughs> I, I think there are brilliant and kind people on social media and, you know, it's a, it's a crazy wild world out there. Yeah. It's my professional learning that I'm learning from people who provide resources that are free and that are brilliant yeah. and that are so generous in giving the, these away for free. So I feel like I'm a connection in my consulting work to teachers of these things that are out there that they can use without having to create it themselves. And they're brilliant. Like Steve Wyborny is one of the most generous math educators, his splat series and the Esther mysteries. And it's just, it's unbelievable. Math flips by Berkeley Everett. Like the fact that we have them already made for us to use and they're the, the heart of what we want to do with kids and thinking flexibly and uh, enjoying math is just amazing. It's totally where you look, right? And, and what you take out of social media is my kind of philosophy. If you, mm -hmm. if you look for the positive and stay positive, I, I've been able to, yeah, but there is ugly out there, but I try to avoid that. So <laughs> Annalise, you know, at the All Learners Network, we're all about um, all means all. That's one of our, our uh, common sayings around here. So when you hear um, the phrase teaching math, so for all learners, what, what do you think of? What comes to mind for you? What are strategies, techniques, or, or what's like the first thing that pops in your mind when you hear that phrase? Yeah, so it's certainly that the understanding and the fundamental belief that every single child can learn math, right? It's, it's demystifying or mythifying, I should say, that myth that we have kids who can do math and kids that can't do math. We have math, math brains and not math brains. That is completely not true, that anyone can learn math and it's about building connections um, and seeing the grade levels as a connected math journey and not in one grade level, I do these skills, the kids mimic them. I feel like today they've gotten their correct answers. So then they go on to the next grade level and those math facts have been forgotten because they've only been memorized. And so the brain prunes it over the summer and the next year's teachers are like, they don't know their math facts, right? And then they, then they do the blame game. Oh, what did last year's teacher do? Why didn't the third grade teachers do this? Well, if we didn't do it in a way that promotes conceptual understanding and a connectedness of number relationships, the brain's going to prune it. Like everyone's teaching their hearts out. It's not a matter of anyone not doing what they're supposed to do. But a lot of teachers don't know yet about the deeper understanding of mathematics. It was not in our teaching programs. It certainly wasn't in mine. Um, and so I think when I think about all students, number one, I think about there not being any labels in a school, that we don't have high flyers and low students who are struggling and red, yellow, green, and blue uh, kids. We, we don't, we have children on a learning journey 
And our job is to find out where they are on that journey and provide opportunities that are welcoming to all to help forward them on their journey. I mean, that that's and providing that opportunity for every single student. So it's not ability grouping, right? It's not having, oh, we're going to everyone teach math. We're going to break them apart by their um, skills. And so you have a whole stu- a classroom full of kids who are deemed low, right? Like that's not okay. It doesn't, we're trying to help build math identity and agency. And I facilitate a couple of Facebook groups that have thousands of members. And so constantly I will see someone posting, oh, I need an idea of what I can do to keep my high flyers busy. Can you please give me an idea of what I can do with these kids? And so I always say, one of my favorite things is open middle, you know, Robert Kaplinsky's open middle, where there's, you're doing the task of, you know, three two-digit numbers, but you're trying to find a sum as close to 100 as possible, let's say, right? You, you got to persevere at that. You can't just do one and now you're done. But I always say, I love openmiddle.com, but I actually love it for all students. I think every student deserves the opportunity to do an open middle problem. These are not reserved for certain kids, right? Like that's, that's not okay. <laughs> so yeah. the all students literally means all, and it means that our classroom environments and the things, the choices of our words with our colleagues about our students and the setup of our classroom through our actions shows that we believe every child can learn math. So building thinking classrooms, Peter Lilliadal's uh, research behind uh, randomized grouping, visible randomized grouping, it sends the message that I believe each one of you has something to contribute to this math classroom. And we are a collection of math learners working together on that collective community of learners. Um, and so those, all those things um, kind of come to mind about the all learners and welcoming varieties of ways to get to an answer, right? I hear, I ask about math stories a lot in my seminars, like what was your math story? And I cannot tell you how many times I hear about number one, math, multiplication math facts. That has burned the images in people's minds <laughs> about the fact that they were not good at math because the visible you know, um, uh, bulletin boards intended to somehow increase intrinsic motivation, right? That wall of fame is a wall of shame for so many people. And those images are burned in their brains. There are 40 year old gentlemen driving me in an Uber car. And he's telling me about the bulletin board with hot air balloons and his hot air balloon didn't rise up or the race car tracks, the race car didn't go around the track. Or what I think is the most cruel, honestly cruel is the ice cream scoops, right? The, the kids earn the ice cream sundaes or the ice cream scoops and the kids that don't make the, and then they get the ability to eat what they earn oh my god it's so cruel i don't understand i don't understand why people do it still they'll do that to this day i just oh my ache my heart just breaks and so it's what can we do within our classrooms that supports and shows the kids through our actions that we believe every single one of them can learn math yeah i think you know i've been i've been working with some secondary folks lately and i would say we talk a lot about this in our workshops, but I would say there's a hope that all kids can learn math. I would not say there's a universal belief that all students can learn math. And in fact, uh, at the secondary level, particularly, there seems to be a kind of, not with everybody, of course, but there's a general acceptance that, you know, some people are uh, AP Calc people and some people are finance, education, practical math people. 
And so to you know, I, years ago when I was a math coordinator in a in a not a large district but a wide district, let's say that um, there was a re- we had a real hard time with the with the general math practical math course. Um, the teachers were incredibly nice people. They thought that they were creating a class so kids could be successful in math and. You know, their point of view was not everyone can do algebra, so we'll have this general math class. Rather than saying, what would it take to make algebra accessible to every Mm -hmm. kid? And I think that's a shift, right? But I Mm -hmm. I also think that telling people all kids can, and I do it all the time, just like you, telling people that all kids can learn math has some value, but in the end, they have to have some experience of seeing kids who they didn't think could do math actually do it and be successful before that I hope kids can do math becomes I believe all kids can do math. I I have the perfect uh, place to to talk about a tweet I did a couple weeks ago. I was at a school in Connecticut um, doing our Math for All Learners the first half of the first day uh, with a, a group of teachers at Riverside Magnet School, so shout out to them great school. And uh, one of the teachers chimed in when we were talking about this very topic. And she said she was making a connection to their work with SEL uh, that they mm-hmm. are doing as well. Of course, because teachers focus on everything rather than uh, focusing on, on smaller things. Um, and anyhow, the connection she made was um, saying you can do math to a kiddo who is maybe math phobic or doesn't have a, you know, a strong math identity is not enough that we have to um, it was something I'm not going to get it exactly right, but it was something like we have to give them experiences to so that they there is irrefutable evidence that they actually can do math. And I just I love that so much. I think that's 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 the heart of it, right? It's it's incumbent upon all of us to make sure that these kiddos in our classrooms and our schools have these experiences, and then look back and go, oh, look at that, I can do math. It's like irrefutable. I just love that. Yeah, I get people like your cab driver. Uh, when I was teaching graduate classes for people who were getting their teaching degrees, sounds like something like what you did. Um, I would teach this math methods class, and every single semester I taught it, someone in the class would cry on the first class because they had been so traumatized to the floating balloon thing, right? So they had like serious trauma. And my response was the first time it happened, you know, I got all empathetic and supportive. And, but after a while, what I realized is just to say, you know what, we're, you're totally going to conquer this. And when you do, I'm going to remind you about this feeling. And later in the semester, when those students would be, you know, explaining with great understanding division of fractions or how proportions work, I would say, who are you? Like, listen to you. You know, that experience, that's what changes people's perspective. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're pretty interested in the fact that you have this association with Nikki. We love Nikki as well. And, um, and uh, math running records. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little about those and how you use them and... Why they're sure. helpful. Sure. So um, back when I was becoming a math coach, I um, was able, we were able to use Title I money to have Nikki come in as an independent consultant and work with our district for the week. And she had said she would just get a taxi. She does not like to drive. Yeah. And I'm like, 
we're in Berlin, New Hampshire. There are no taxis. <laughs> and so I was her driver for the week, which was phenomenal because I was with her everything other than sleeping. We were together the entire day, the entire week. And I just adore her um, as a person. And I learned so much from her. So uh, that began our friendship and our really you now working together. And soon after that, she did a webinar on math running records. So she was already on my radar as someone that I'm learning so much from that I, I took that webinar, but concurrently, I was taking a, a class to prepare me to understand early numeracy. I did not know about yet about the connection of all the grade levels. And I, walking into my math coaching position, I'm like, I have all this knowledge. How do I share this knowledge with others? Like that we can be looking for a progression of when their kids are adding, like counting all and counting on and counting on from the bigger number, like all this expertise that I had no idea existed in the primary grades. And so I took her webinar and I'm like, this is it. This is the way that I can help people. Number one, educators understand the progression of the development of math thinking for the kids. It gives us the most authentic information we have of the thinking of the children. <laughs> and it helps build positive identity with math, their disposition as well. It's like it's, it's giving us the most authentic data that we have on fact fluency that allows us to then provide instructional opportunities to help move them forward on their journey. So um, so I took that webinar and then I began implementing them in my school. It was tr it was transforming our data discussions about kids around math. The literacy skill discussions were already very rich, but in some cases when, we, when a teacher was asked about a student's math abilities, they would just say, he's all right. And there's like <laughs> no specificity. Well, suddenly the conversation between the teachers and the interventionists could be, oh, right now he's working on his doubles plus ones. And right now he's counting on. Can you help move him into the additive reasoning of using other facts that he knows? So it provides the most authentic data we have on the kids thinking. Now it is a free protocol. It can be downloaded from Dr. Nikki's site, mathrunningrecords.com. There's one per operation and it's, it's thoroughly research informed. So you can't take it and then change it the way you want it or change the numbers. Like it is she thoroughly over 10 years researched this with action research and through the research, which is in the book, all the research. Um, and it's about a 10 minute interview we can do with students. And we, I do them from end of kinder because the year of kinder is counting and cardinality. So the, the adding and subtracting comes into place by the end of the year. And all the way through middle school students who are in interventions because interventionists are given the task to help, you know, help our students to be successful when, when they're showing on the traditional methods of achievement to not be succeeding but my feeling is it's probably because they're asked to the algorithm and they can't do the algorithm and so then they get an intervention where if we taught math in these flexible ways we would put interventionists out of a job because everyone's getting what they need in the tier one inspection um but about a 10 minute interview there's a sequence of the expressions for each operation um that go from like the relatively easiest to the hardest and then once you find out uh you know what set of facts are beginning to cause super slowdowns or inaccuracies or inefficient strategies such as if it's an addition subtraction uh, fluency one are they counting right that's not the most efficient we want additive reasoning we want using doubles to help us or bridge a 10. if it's a multiplication we want to make sure the students aren't skip counting right that's additive reasoning we want to use multiplicative reasoning so it's about finding what set of facts on the progression do students begin showing some uh, issues with and then we can and then within that where are they on that trajectory from counting to additive reasoning to multiplicatives, we can tailor our uh, experiences to help their uh, facilitate their journey forward in using the appropriate thinking and reasoning of the content they're 
they're being asked to learn. So uh, it's just on that site, Math Learning Records. You can download them. She has a book on it. But we do a lot together. I began the Facebook group about five years ago. We have about 17,000 members now. And so she and I provide resources and advice to people in there. Um, and we do Zoom chats uh, where we just get together with anyone that wants to join in to talk about talk about the fluency. So it's been a big part of my life and my consulting uh, work as well to help districts implement these because it becomes a multi-grade level um, team of educators providing a journey for kids uh, on their fact fluency, but it translates to everything else because the same strategies we use with basic facts, of course, we can use with multi-digit numbers, decimals, and fractions. So I feel like it's my my in the door to districts, but then it unlocks everything else. And we're improving dispositions of kids. We're getting them talking about their thinking with daily routines and like number talks. Like it, it affects everything <laughs> else. Uh, and so, um, so yeah, so it's, it's just a phenomenal, I, I absolutely uh, love the assessment and I love how it becomes a journey for, for educators of exploring fluency, um, starting with facts, but it translates itself all the way through. Yeah, we uh, have. Have you ever used the PNOA? I have not. Nope. Yeah, that's a that's a Vermont thing that Sandy Stanhope, our local queen of early elementary math, um, works a lot with. I mean, all of these. We talk a lot about the necessity of understanding student thinking, and one of the things I like about Nikki's work is that she has a framework for thinking about where student strategies and thinking is situated on kind of a progression of things. Um, we see that with OGAP too, and I understand that OGAP's doing a lot of work in New Hampshire. Have you run into them at all? I have not. I know it's behind like a, a paywall kind of thing. Like the OGAP is like you need to be belong and get training from them in order to, to access their materials. Um, from what I've heard from educators who have used it, they said it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, really, really I have not personally stuff. seen it yet. They have, and, they and have their just, own. I just, I just want to be a, um, a, an acronym buster for a, a moment just oh, yeah. for our listeners who don't know. So PNOA is Primary Numeracy on, on, on Operations Assessment. It's an interviews-based assessment uh, with Vermont Grown. And then OGAP is Ongoing Assessment Project another Vermont grown, but has uh, moved out to the whole country. Well, and like math running records, PNOA was, had its roots in math recovery. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, and uh, the OGAP stuff, some of it's, some of the progression, but it's the same idea, right? That we have mm -hmm. an idea about how students progress through these concepts. Realistic math education out of the Netherlands does a very similar thing. Um, the importance of understanding how a kid's thinking about it and not making the kid come to you, but mm -hmm. you understanding where they are in that in that learning process. And I very often found in my work uh, in doing these for the last many years that uh, student teachers will present me a student, um, and there are many times that their their perceptions of that student is not accurate to the thinking of yeah. the student. I love the show Ted Lasso. I own no <laughs> stock in Apple Plus TV. But I love the show Ted Lasso about changing the world through love and kindness. But one of his scenes, he talks about he's been underestimated his whole life. Like People just don't think he's going to achieve things. And he proves them wrong all the time. But I saw a quote by Walt Whitman that said to be curious and not judgmental. So, you know, in that moment, I realized that people's underestimation of me had nothing to do with me. It was their perceptions of me. They were judging me based on whatever things they 
are judging me on, but they weren't curious. They didn't talk to me. They didn't ask anything about me. And I feel like that resonates with me with my work with teachers and my work with students. My work with teachers, I wanna come in and tell them I have zero judgment of anything they're doing in their classroom, that I will implore them to not do things that I did do in my classrooms. I didn't know anything better. So I gave time tests two, three times a week to my students, but yet I did nothing to help my students build fluency. I just assessed them, right? And TJ, you and I, you tweeted this out and I use this quote, um, your quote on, on Twitter uh, in all my seminars now, where John St. Giovanni had said, we can't fatten a pig by weighing it and we can't build fluency by merely assessing it. And that's what I did in my 13 years in my classroom. I didn't know anything different. I didn't know this world existed of flexibility of thinking. Um, so really what I was doing was affirming to the subset of my students who were successful at those time tests that they were math kids. But I also was affirming two to three times a week that my students that were needing improvement were not math kids. I just, and my heart aches at the thought of that's what I used to do, right? So that and the other thing that I implore people not to do is to use keyword posters, to try to use a <laughs> word to suggest the that. operation that they can do. So I implore people, don't do those, right? Um, and so that curiosity for the teachers, I want to make sure that I'm not going to judge anything that you're doing, but I might have better ways. I might have the research I can connect you to of how it's best for kids to learn and grow. And then with my work with students, um, I remember vividly one, one teacher, I was modeling math running records to a team of 10 teachers. And one teacher said, okay, I've got a student for you. I don't know what to do with them. He's in my fifth grade classroom. He's a super struggling learner. I've never had a student this low. Uh, he does nothing in the classroom. And so good luck with him, essentially. Okay. So the student comes in and the math writing record, the fives are very early on because a lot of our students, um, we can connect the fives to the tens. And that's an easier place to start, right? And so I asked him nine times five and he thought for a long time. And he finally said 45. And as always, I'm like, great. What did your brain just do? How did you figure it out? Well, I have that nine to 4.5 and then that times 10 is 45. <laughs> oh my God, like what? So from that, I no longer have anyone tell me anything about the child before I'm about to meet with them and interview them. So people will say, well, do you want a high kid, a medium kid, a low kid? I said, I'd like a child, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I actually, right? there's a story I tell a lot about being uh, called in to do a clinical interview with a seventh grader and the special educator said, we don't know if this kid can do um, any math at all. So, so I prepared all of these problems and I'm recording this, you know, doing all the clinical interview things. And, um, and every time I, we read a problem together or we're talking about some kind of math task, she always shrugs. She has no affect whatsoever, just kind of a schlumpy affect. And she says, um, I don't know, do I add, do I subtract, do I multiply or do I divide? So I, as is often the case in an interview like this, I'm sort of stumped about where to go. But pre-interview, I've interviewed her parents and her teachers and everything to find out something about her. So I'm trying to stall. And so I say, oh, it says, you know, it says you like to play video games. She's like, yeah, I love to play video games. And I'm like, so which of those game, I know nothing about video games, literally. Um, which of those game systems do you have? And she's like, oh, I have three. And I'm thinking there are three. Um, but, right. So I'm like, three? 
it must cost you a fortune to buy games for those things. She goes, no, 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 I get them at yard sales. They're like five bucks a piece. And by the way, by now, her affect is completely changed. She's relaxed. She's actually smiling at me. And so I say, okay, so they're five bucks. So what if you bought seven of them? And without a moment's hesitation, she says, I'd spend $35. And I say, okay, so how would you pay for that? Like, she says, with money. And I'm like, yeah, okay, what money? She goes, I don't know, I'd give him two 20s and he'd give me five back. And so I say, if you can do that, why do you have so much problem with math? And she laughs and she says, that's not math. You know, and it was this light bulb moment for me because I thought, by the time they get to middle school, a lot of kids think math is something we do to them. Mm-hmm. Right? There's no, who's the math for is a question we ask a lot. Who is the math for? And so all of the assumptions that this kid couldn't do math were based on, as you said, a particular idea about what math is and who she was mm-hmm. and what she could do. Mm-hmm. But the the time to explore what she actually understood had a completely different result. Absolutely. And I finally, the, sorry, go ahead. Well, on the flip side, there are students who are given to me as, oh, they're a high flyer kind of a thing, right? And they, they ace the running record. Um, there are times, though, that they're not accurate, so that they don't ace it. They give the answers fast, but they're giving me answers that are wrong. Uh-huh. And I'll ask them, how did you learn that? And they'll name like a computer program for MathFax. So they've memorized them wrong. Um, but if they get them all right, like they have the MathFax, easy retrieval and accurate, I'll ask them, uh, in multiplication particularly, I'll ask them 4, 9, 17. And those kids yeah. uh, that have only memorized will say, I didn't learn that one yet. So they, they, they present as a good math student who's really, because they're giving answers fast and accurately, but they have no sense of a connectedness that if I learn about a multiplying by four as a double double, I can multiply anything by four. I might not know it quickly, but I can figure it out for you. Right? Yeah. I love Pam Harris's work and math is figure outable. Um, and so that, so both things that have happened so often that kids that are thought to be not successful at the math show incredible depth of understanding and other end of the spectrum kids that teachers are assuming, oh, they're my high flyer. I'm gonna give them extra stuff play a game, their own personal choice of what to do because they're so good at the math, yeah. don't have any depth of understanding. And so uh, it's about the whole kiddo, right? Having everything in place that we want to facilitate. I don't know how we get beyond this whole labeling of students because in my personal experience, it's everywhere, literally everywhere yeah. I go, every school, every state, um, you know, not everyone, but but there's pervasive. Um, and one of the things I've been saying recently is uh, like, does your language in academic settings and professional settings, is your language actually communicating what you truly believe? Because I, I don't think any educator you would talk to would say, well, I don't believe some kids can't learn. I don't think they would say that. But often when we're saying, well, these are my low kids. I mean, I, I did a model lesson at a fifth grade classroom in Northeastern Vermont years ago. And I remember, before I went in, the teacher said, well, these are my little kids and kind of told me. And, and my reaction was, so do you not want me to talk to them? Should, should I not expect anything from them? 
Should I just ignore them? Like, what, what, what are you trying to communicate to me? And she was like, oh, no, 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 I just, I just want you to know. And uh, I just, I just think that's so interesting. We, uh, we ran years ago and Glenn Patterson and I started working with kids with complex needs, complex struggles. It was the same mentality that can these kids, you know, we're talking about kids who are blind and deaf or have low testable intelligence and autism. Like these kids have a lot of struggles. And the question was always, well, can they actually learn anything? And when we started interviewing these kids and setting up uh, plans for them, the first four we interviewed were all in rooms with no windows. They were literally like in closets somewhere. And all of them had the same goals, time and money in their IEPs. And so it did it actually did not take very much to put them on a real math program, you know, really learning, subitizing, constructing and deconstructing sums and differences before the teachers could actually see, oh my God, these kids not only can they do it, but it's good for their minds to do it. Like mm -hmm. when you get down to that drilling, like you're talking about, there's no growth mentally to do that stuff. It's just a memory exercise. And memory is the lowest level of thinking and learning. Mm -hmm. which, um, which struggles do you find the most kind of common? When we ask high school and middle school teachers, they identify some areas, but I'm curious about your take on that. Where do kids struggle the most in math in your experience? Well, what I find the most frequent um, complaint I hear from teachers is kids don't know the math facts. They don't know the math facts. And then the mentality is that if they don't know their math facts, yeah. they can't possibly do the grade level content that I'm doing, Yeah, which is completely wrong, right? Completely yeah. wrong. That if we help students explore relationships of the tens, I'm thinking multiplication in particular, but it's true for all operations, all grade levels, too often teachers are doing what they knew themselves. So when I grew up learning math, Absolutely. it was rote memorization and procedures. And I excelled at that. So I had a lot of positive affirmation that I'm a math student. In fact, my only memory as a kid learning math was correcting my friend's papers. I felt so special because I was the first <laughs> one that could crank out those calculations. I got to correct the papers for the teacher. And I was playing school at school. So I loved that, right? And it wasn't until I hit and I still got solid A's and B's all the way through calculus in high school, took classes in college again. Um, but I know I didn't have the depth of understanding of like real world application. I remember asking my son, our son graduated in a degree with physics. I said, Matthew, what is calculus? Like what's the real life application of calculus? He said, mom, it's the world all around you. <laughs> like what? And my brother at one point in his, his Navy career, he was the navigator of the sub. So he used calculus to drive the sub. <laughs> So how did I take it in high school and college and never get an appreciation of the real life application of it, right? And so I think that we do what we know and algorithms, I mean, I know, John, I've heard you say this and I'm completely 100% behind you that the algorithms limit the thinking of the kids. So too often the kids do the algorithm, let's say adding and subtracting in grade one and two. Well, when we think of the thinking of the kids, very often they don't know their math facts with easy retrieval. And so they're doing single digit thinking in a double digit problem. And very mm -hmm. often they're counting on or counting back. So their thinking is counting in the context of multi-digit 
adding and subtracting. I see this all the time with upper elementary as well. The subtract, I think subtraction is the Achilles heel of all of our students. Um, so they try to do a multi-digit subtraction problem is all single digit facts. They're counting back. They don't even think about, could I count up? Is it closer together? I can just yeah. count up, which is right. And then with the multiplication, the similar way where they, they do the multiplication and people, teachers love their kids and want them to be successful. So they've created these cutesy things of like alligators for comparing <laughs> numbers or, you know, butterfly method to compare fractions. Or apparently there's a turtle that lays an egg in the multiplication double digit world with that zero oh, down below and the other partial part is a turtle egg. And there's a turtle wow. head that they do, okay. right? Like it's insane, but I see this offered as advice to people in the groups that I manage. I, I manage also the Bill Math Minds for Christina Tondevold. And there are 70,000 people in that group. There are a lot of people that are willing to talk about math and share ideas. So I see a lot of people suggesting, oh, try this. And I, I do my best to know we're all in a learning journey. And I'm like, hey, have you ever thought about this? Yeah. <laughs> right? That five groups can be half of 10 groups, right? Like that, that's what's been mind blowing for me on my journey, things that I didn't know um, as I was doing it. But when you think about, let's say, the multiplication algorithm, very often the kids don't know their facts. So what are they thinking? they're skip counting, right? So their thinking and reasoning isn't matching the content that they're asked to do, um, let alone going into proportional reasoning starting in grade six. And some of them are skip counting or counting all. Oh, I saw a student in grade five, I asked him seven times five and he went one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, all the way up to 34. So he was one away from the actual answer, right? So it's our, learning as educators of what is a trajectory of learning so that we can be listening to the kids thinking and help facilitate to connect that journey for every child that I, I know every child can do that yeah I think I think that's an interesting and important point sometimes teachers interpret the emphasis on understanding and the emphasis on strategies to mean it's okay for a kid to count by ones all the time and, you know, it's sort of like it's fine for a kid to use place value blocks to develop some understanding. But, you know, he's not going to bring a briefcase full of place value blocks around with him for the rest <laughs> of his life. Right. It's, right. So while right. it might be fine for them to count out, you know, so, for example, when I'm doing partitive division and, you know, some number in the hundreds divided by a, a number in the ones um a single digit number and the kids make their groups because they're going to do a sharing model for it and then they say well i'm going to put one in here and one in here and one i'm always like no this will take forever come on mm -hmm. let's let's use something mm -hmm. bigger than ones here and mm -hmm. it's not an inappropriate push but i think it's the same thing people who don't understand what we do will say well you guys just give problems to kids and say invent math kids and you know <laughs> it's it's nothing could be farther from the truth and strategies like you say are on this journey yeah i mean it's it's part of the development of more and more efficient thinking over time it doesn't need to stay at i'm going to count i'm going to draw my five groups of 9 and Count them all up. Yeah, well, I mean, oh, sorry, go ahead, teaching. I, I was just going to say that's where it's really incumbent upon us as educators to 
put in front of students that piece of work that's going to help move them forward. I'm thinking of yes. a second grade student I worked with for a really long time, and I, I started working with him as an interventionist middle of the year. So we're talking January, uh, and he was still counting to add something like 32 and one more. He'd go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine, and he would always get it right unless you cross a decade because he had trouble with that. But um, so I would just do that ad nauseum. And he finally got so sick of doing it that he went, 31, 32. And, you know, he, he discovered counting on. He'd been told to count on from kindergarten on. Put the big number in your head, count on. And it didn't make sense to him. Like, he had to make sense of it. And so I knew that because I knew that's where I wanted him to go next. And, and I put those experiences in front of him and I exhausted him. I'm like, I, I can outlast him. You know, I've been mm -hmm. at this longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love, um, I think that Figuring Out Fluency, the Jennifer Bay Williams and John C. Giovanni book is like pure gold because it's a K-8, right? It's not limited to basic facts. Is that, um, and I love her quote. I've been, I, I always love learning from her. She's just amazing. Um, but she says that we want students to be able to first learn how to use these strategies so they can choose it. And I find in my, my, my work with teachers all the time that many of them will say, it's too confusing. My textbook has these five different ways to multiply. <laughs> it confuses the kids. They have no idea what they're doing. I just tell them, find the one way that works for you, and then you'll be all set. Yeah. But the thing is that the numbers suggest different flexible strategies. It's not that I'm always going to um, count up when I subtract, right? Or very often I find students don't know they can count up when they're subtracting. They think of it only as removal. They don't think of it as the distance between the two numbers. Um, and so when I ask them, let's say 102 minus 98, they don't know what's for yet. Like they want to regroup it and have to go across that zero as opposed to thinking about subtraction means the distance. And I can find that distance and 98 is pretty close to 102. I can use 100 as a bridge, let's say. But yet if I ask the same student 90 minus 12, do I want them counting up? No, it's going to be more flexible to take away a 10, take away a 2, if they don't, right, if they, they're not having any other strategy to do it. Yeah, so we, I think that's such an element of what you do is that they've got to learn these different, not learn, and again, it's not us teaching it to them. There you go. It's providing opportunities that they can feel, oh, I can work in this way with numbers. So like, I love number strings where you can connect one strategy yes. through a series to show that connection. Um, so then students can learn about these relationships and, and the experiences to keep practicing them um, so that they can choose it, like way to beat, right? So you see the numbers, don't begin calculating it. Stop, look at the numbers. What strategy might make sense with those? And then you go down that path and try to do it, but sometimes it might get a little wonky in the process of doing that. So then back up and try a different strategy. But they have to have those flexible strategies in their toolkit to know that they can choose it. Yes. It can't be, I only do this one thing. Sandy has indoctrinated all of us to the importance of part-part-whole relationships in uh, whenever she's doing anything with additive reasoning. And she has this wonderful thing she occasionally does when, you know, when you're subtracting, say, I don't know, 35 from 72. She'll occasionally ask this question, um, where's the 35 in 72? which is such, it points right to the part, part, whole. And it's such an interesting way for kids to wrap their heads around it. Yeah, there's a lot of people who think that this strategy stuff means 
you keep the same pedagogy. The teacher teaches you how to do it. And then you just get to choose whichever one works best for you. Not these strategies are just things we've observed that people will do when they're making sense of the mathematical problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I know that the time has flown by sort of effortlessly. Like, 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 like a lot of our folks. Yeah. I, I have one last question for you, yeah, yeah, which sure. is, you know, you've done this running record stuff. You, you have a lot of things you're well known for. I'm wondering, like, is there anything new on the horizon, anything that you're really excited about in math education, you know, something that you're just kind of dipping your toe into that's a little newer? Well, the um, the building thinking classrooms for me has been revolutionizing my work within classrooms uh, with classroom teachers because it embeds everything, all the math practices are alive and well when that way of learning math is happening, right? Like the message is sent because of their randomized grouping every day, uh, you know, that the students are, everyone has something to contribute. Um, the fact that um, they're working up and working on vertical non-permanent surfaces so the, the knowledge can travel around the room without it being, how did you do it? How did you do it? They're making their thinking visible to others. So it's not the show me your work, it's the make your thinking visible to prove others that that's the answer that you got, right? And they're doing it in, in concrete sometimes and pictorial ways so that modeling of the mathematics is um, alive. And I love having groups like compare their posters. So group two goes to the group one poster and they say to them what they think their thinking was based on their writing. And then group one goes to group two's poster and they tell them what they think their thinking was based on what they wrote. Then they find connections between the two. What do we see that's the same here? What do we see that's different, right? So that that linking together of, of the um, the ways we've got our answers, validating multiple pathways to get to an answer. And very often, hey, I never thought of it that way. I'm going to try that. That seems easier. I'm going to do that next time rather than my way. My favorite story with that is um, I was working in a fifth grade classroom and we I found a task um, that is because you tell the story out loud rather than on a worksheet, right? So I told the kids, it's an art classroom and the kids did a wonderful art project and there are fractional amounts of paint left in six of the cups. And the fractional amounts were like a one fifth and a one third, they had a unit fraction in there. There was two fourths um, and then five twelfths and five tenths. It was from Virginia Department of Ed. Uh, Teresa Wills on her site, um, uh, teresawills.com has this task, Virginia Department of Ed. Um, and I absolutely adore it. So the uh, kids are, the, the Maria comes in class late and, the, and says, what about me? I want to do this task too. And so the teacher says, hey, here's an empty cup. You can use any two of those leftover cups of paint. As long as your paint cup won't overfill, you're welcome to use them. And so um, then the task is, can you find two cups you could do that won't overfill her cup? But again, multiple answers because there's multiple ones you could do multiple ways you can show how you could prove it well we we did um i had uh, two groups share and one group shared that they did the traditional algorithm of adding fractions and they did five tenths and five twelfths and they converted it to sixtieths they got an answer of 55 sixtieths and then they simplified it down to 11 twelfths so they shared that with the class and that's great like that is true right then the next group said um we were thinking that we didn't have to figure out exactly how much paint was in the cup. And we just thought, 
five twelfths is a little less than a half, and five tenths is a half. So we knew that that wouldn't overflow the cup. And then they had like five different answers because they use reasoning. <laughs> they use thinking and reasoning. And the first group was like, we're calculators. You know, we can do this algorithm to get the answer. And I think that mindset needs to shift too of what is a good math thinker and reasoner, right? That, uh, that, that was just a phenomenal experience that showed that all kids can be learning and growing in this environment. And it just, uh, so that, has become a passion of mine that when I'm working in schools, we can do a, a building thinking task because it embodies everything that I believe um, about about the math world. Oh yeah, TJ's TJ's holding up well, his, his we're, cap. We're doing a book study on this at all learners, so um, and I'm hoping yeah, we did one all that. last year in New Hampshire teachers of math. I'm the elementary rep on the oh, board, nice. and we did it all last year as well, once a month. And it's not to say that you do it every single day. There's a place for other. Um, instructional strategies as well but yeah that we get the feet wet do it one day a week just try it out and people will will easily see like oh this is the answer like this is how we get everybody learning from each other as a community um, of learners um, we, my we... favorite I, I read this summer also I read um, Chase Orton's book called okay. the unfinished and imperfect math teacher um, and I absolutely adore it and I adore him um, and he joined in our book studies I did one with some friends of mine and um, I love his quote that says, we're not just teaching kids math content. We're helping them author their math stories. And I think that says it all. I, I right? saw that you put that on your email kind of tagline. I was a peer reviewer for that book. So I was, oh uh, I, remember, I had it way before anyone and I was reading, I couldn't really say much, you know, because right. yeah, it is a great book. Well, thank you so much, Annalise Record, for being with us today and sharing your thoughts about math teaching and math learning. And um, the time went so fast because it was so interesting, the things you had to share with us. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to have been here. Remember, you can find a recording of our podcast at alllearnersnetwork.com and on Spotify or Anchor, search ALN Math Talk along with free resources like our high leverage concepts, high leverage assessments, high leverage progressions, high leverage t-shirts, belt buckles, and coffee mugs. Those are all real things, folks. ALN Math Talk is produced by the All Learners Networks, All Rights Reserved, Executive Producers Sandy, Miss Elementary Math Stanhope, and John, I was just thinking Tapper. TJ, the designer, that's in caps, folks. The designer Jemison is the co-host. Spiritual Mathematical, Guidance has been provided by Robert Fly in the Water, Micro Brew, Stats Loving Laird, who reminds us that we'd probably be more successful if we just drew a freaking picture. Our theme music was written and performed by Sarah Blair. Join us next time. We'll have lots of amazing interviews about interesting math topics and more fascinating math folks. See you next time. See you next time. <laughs>